This morning, God's Word comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12. We're going to begin our reading at verse 13 and then read through verse 21. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. What we hear now is God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you also to turn to the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 892 in the back. Page 892, this is Lord's Day 42. And this morning I'll read for you questions 110 and 111. Reading from page 892, question 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. Question 111, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. And that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Well, it's no surprise when I say that we live in trying economic times. Certainly, in the past year and a half, uh, COVID has taken a toll on our economy. It has affected the stock market, 
It has affected businesses. It has affected individuals' jobs. And so in, in, in light of that, in light of what's taken place, this morning's sermon title might seem a bit out of place, being truly rich. Now, you know I'm not given to catchy sermon titles, but I was tempted. I was tempted to send this sermon title to the Chino Champion and see how many visitors we get this morning. Being truly rich. Those are the type of sermons that draw people in. Well, notice the middle word, being truly rich. We're not just going to talk about how to uh, acquire possessions. But being truly rich involves more than that. It involves, involves not only how we acquire the things that we get, it involves how we hold the things that we have, and it requires how we use the things that we have. We must not forget that our material possessions are intimately tied with our spiritual life. I think sometimes we like to make a, a, a division between those two things. My spiritual life is over here. It has to do with, with prayer and reading the Bible and going to church. But how I deal with the stuff I have, that's up to me. No, our spiritual life, our, our material life, are intimately tied together. We must not separate them. This morning, to enter into the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, we're going to look at an incident in the life of Jesus and a parable that he tells. A parable about one who had much, but who wanted more. As an example of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Our confession, uh, when asked what is forbidden in the Eighth Command, says, God forbids outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish. How do we acquire, how do we get the things that we have? We may certainly, children, not get them by stealing, not get them by theft, not get them by robbery. We may not take things that are not ours. That's, that's the very basic understanding of the commandment. You shall not steal. Don't go against what the governing authorities allow. In this way, the Eighth Commandment is connected back to the Sixth Commandment. We talked about submitting to all those in authority over us. Well, certainly that, that submission includes not breaking the law, not acquiring our possessions by, by stealing them by robbery, by theft. But if that's all we think the commandment says, then we've missed the point of the exposition of the law as we've been going through it for the last several weeks together. The law is much broader than just a simple understanding of you shall not steal. And our confession helps us with that. It says God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, Theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, either by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight or size or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest. All these other schemes 
to try to get more than we have. It is, it is something like that scheme which is the occasion of the parable Jesus tells. We read in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if this man was simply concerned about a proper division of the inheritance, he could have gone to the courts. There were laws in place that required an equitable division of assets. But he doesn't go to the courts. He goes to Jesus instead. And we see by Jesus' answer that this man didn't want simply an equitable division of the assets. He wanted more than was his share. That's what Jesus warns of, going to verse 14. He said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This man wanted more than was his due. He wanted to get something for nothing. And I think if we are honest with ourselves, we would say getting something for nothing is something of the American way. If we can get something for nothing, if people will give us something and we do nothing, we consider that a windfall. We consider that a good thing. But Jesus warns, be careful, be on guard against all covetousness, that desire for, for things that would come at no cost to us. We should not be those who are always looking for something for nothing. No, God has provided us a means by which we can acquire the things that we have. God has given us the blessing of labor, the blessing of work. This is God's means for us to acquire, to provide for the needs that we have. And make no mistake, work is a blessing, not a curse. Work is a blessing, not a curse. If you are not sure about that, ask anyone who has been unemployed for some time. They will say, it is unemployment that is the curse. It is unemployment, unable to care for yourself, to acquire things properly. That's where the curse is. Work is a blessing. Already in the Garden of Eden, Adam was given work to do before the fall. Work is not a consequence of the fall into sin. Adam was told to tend and to keep the garden. That was his labor, that was his work, and that was a blessing to him. Now certainly after the fall, work became more difficult. It became a hardship. But work itself is not a curse. Work is a blessing from God. Because as we work, we reflect something of who God is. God is a God who works. God labored for six days in creation. God continues to labor in the ongoing providential upholding of all he has made. 
And God labors in redemption to bring people to a saving knowledge of who He is. Our God is a working God. And when we work, we reflect something of who God is. We see that, that reinforced in the fourth commandment. Now, we often think of the fourth commandment as that which is a commandment about rest, and certainly it is. But don't miss the beginning of the command. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You shall labor. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. In fact, to truly enjoy the rest of the Sabbath, it's good for us to work, to labor throughout the week. So our, 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 our calling in, in the proper acquisition of the things that we have is to act as children of God. Don't try to avoid all work. Don't try to get something for nothing. But use the method, the means God has provided, the labor that he gives to us. This man wanted something for nothing. In response to that, Jesus tells a parable. Verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, apparently, this man was acquiring things properly. He was a landowner, I assume, and the land was producing plentifully. But now, his concern is not simply the acquisition, but how he holds the things that he has. He got the things perhaps properly, but now he holds them with very selfish interest. He holds them for the benefit of himself. Notice how many times he says, I, in this parable. What shall I do? I have nowhere to share my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and make bigger ones. I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to myself, soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It was a very selfish holding of the things he had acquired. And that selfishness, that self-centeredness, kept him from seeing the blessings that he already had. Notice what he says in verse 17, once again. What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Kids, he had some place to store his crops. He had barns. Maybe not enough for all, but he had barns that were able to store that crops. He says, I don't even see that. All I see is what I don't have. What am I going to do? I'll tear down what I have already. He misses the fact he's already been blessed with the ability to take some of this crop in. He has, he has an insatiable desire for more. As one uh, commentary writer uh, put it, it would be like, like a man, a thirsty man, drinking salt water. Yes, he has a huge thirst, but as he drinks that salt water, the salt actually increases his thirst rather than satisfy, satisfies him. This man has an increasing desire for more. I've got no place to store my crops. And before we're too critical 
of the man in the parable. Perhaps some night we're going out to a fine event. We're going to get dressed up uh, to go to a program of some kind. And we go to our closet and we look at all the clothes hanging there. And what do we say? I've got nothing to wear. It's so easy for us to overlook all the blessings God has given us when we, when we hold our possessions simply for ourselves, rather than recognizing what God has done for us. Of course, the corrective to this self-centered holding is to recognize God's goodness, to recognize his blessing, to recognize he gives us the means to, to acquire, to possess certain things. We must hold them Hold them lightly, hold them gently. We read in Psalm 24 earlier today, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. God holds everything. And that really is where we have to get to with regard to, to how we possess our gifts. Not a self-centered possession, but a possession as a steward. Now, children, steward's kind of a strange word. God is the one who gives everything to us, and we are to be stewards of what he gives. What is a steward? A steward is someone who, who receives something, and he holds it, and he uses it for the benefit of the one from whom he received it. A steward's the one who, who gets a gift, but it's not really his. He's just given it to use. Maybe kids, maybe after church, I would take you to my office, and on the wall is something that's very special to me. I have my diploma from Westminster Seminary on the wall. And maybe I would say to you, this belongs to me, but I'm going to give it to you, and if you want, you can go hang it up on your wall. And you can look at it, and you can maybe even pretend it's your degree from Westminster Seminary. You're going to be a steward. It's still mine. But you need to take care of it. That's what God does for us. Everything belongs to Him. I possess it, not as my own. In truth, I own nothing. Everything I have, I have received as a gift, and I am called to be a steward of that which God has given me. And that really brings us to, to the, the full understanding of being truly rich. It is not in the acquisition of our possessions. It's not in the holding of our possessions. It is in how we use the things God has given to us. We are to use them as stewards, things given that we are to take care of, to be used not in self-interest, eat, drink, be merry, but to be used in the service of God. Our confession alludes to this at the end of question 110. In addition, God forbids all greed and 
the pointless squandering of his gifts. The pointless squandering of his gifts. Using the gifts and talents God has given to us and squandering them away. Failing to do all we can with what he's provided for us. Now certainly this refers to the physical things God has given to us, but it also refers. It refers to to the talents God has provided, the abilities God has provided. He has gifted us in many different ways, and we are to be stewards of those gifts. We may not pointlessly squander them. So kids, that means when you're in school, you shouldn't do the very least you can to get by. If God has gifted you, now we're all gifted in different ways, but if God has gifted you in a particular way, in a particular subject at school, then you should do all you can to use that talent and to do the best that you can. Not to simply say, this is the minimal amount I can do. Not to pointlessly squander the gift, but to use the best of our ability. We are to do the same in our labor, in our work. God has called us to different positions. Again, we have different talents, different abilities. But we should not try to find the lowest bar that we can hit and still be employed. Not to waste, to squander the gifts. We're to utilize them in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that brings glory to God. It's a blessing to Him and a blessing to others around us. And that's really the second half of our Lord say this morning, uh, question 111, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully, that I work faithfully, that I may help the needy in their hardship. We work so we can help the needy. Again, that is done in very real and physical ways. That is also done through through the giving that we do in church. We give that the church may help other people. We work hard so that we can give in church and and be a blessing to others. And, and, And make no mistake, giving, giving is a part of our worship service. I know that there are those today who would like to to say, you know, giving really, really isn't for everybody in church. In fact, I've, I've seen in bulletins, um, the offering today is only for those who are members. If you are a visitor, please don't give anything. Well, that, that, that's like saying, the songs today are only for the members. Please don't sing. The prayers today are only for members. Please don't pray. And by the way, don't listen to the sermon either. That's only for the members. The offering is a part of our worship. It's a part of our service. We don't downplay that. During the offertory, I hope that you are not simply using this as one second chance to look through the bulletin and see what announcements you might have missed for this morning, but you take that time to reflect upon what God has given to you, the blessings you have received, and the privilege you have to return a portion of those blessings to the Lord. The offering is not, uh, 
intermission in the worship service. It is an act of worship, a part of what we do when we gather together. Of course, we know our God gives us everything. And yet he graciously doesn't ask us to give absolutely everything we have to the church. God has provided a system for giving among his people. That system we refer to as tithing, proportional giving. Tithing was a practice ordained by God already in the Old Testament. It is a practice that is never done away with in the New Testament. It is a practice that is commended by Jesus himself. And yet so often, as this man in the parable, we see that 10% that we give away and we fail to see the 90% God lets us keep. The, the, the amount we give away seems so big, we, we forget this is only a small portion of what God has given to us. And so I encourage you parents in particular, help your children when they're young to begin the practice of tithing. Maybe, maybe kids, you get an allowance from mom and dad. I'm sure it's more than I gave my kids because I was pretty cheap when it came to allowance. But maybe, kids, maybe you get a quarter a week. Oh, maybe you get a quarter a week. And after, after a whole month, you'll have a dollar. Well, then very, very simple. The next Sunday, you take one dime and you put it in the offering. That's tithing. And I say, I say it's important to start our children when they're young because tithing is much more difficult, it seems, when we get older. Giving a dime out of a dollar is no big deal. Giving a 10 out of a 100 seems like a lot. Giving a 100 out of a 1,000 almost seems impossible. But it's the same. It's God's principle for giving. How do we, how do we avoid that desire to to fail to see that which God has given to us. We look at the gift uh, as so much. Giving is really the antidote to greed. Giving is the antidote to, to holding our things and failing to use them for God. And there is a certain paradox here. I have the title of the sermon, Being Truly Rich. Being truly rich is not, is not found in those things we can acquire and hold for ourselves. Being truly rich is using the gifts God has given to us and giving them to others. This is a blessing to be able to share what God has with those who are in need. Our riches, our true riches, are not found in what we get, but they are found in what we give away. There's a certain paradox when it comes to being truly rich. But that same paradox exists for spiritual riches. That same paradox exists in our hope for salvation. Jesus Christ was one who was truly rich. 
He had all the glories, all the blessings of an eternity with his God and Holy Spirit in heaven. And yet Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor. He gave away his riches that the poor might receive the blessing. Jesus Christ gave, he emptied himself that he might fulfill the work God had given him and then be glorified because he'd finished the work that the Father had assigned to him. And God continues to do that today. The riches of Christ continue to be poured out for all those who embrace him as Lord and Savior. So, so he calls you once again today, he calls you to, to try to stop Stop earning your own salvation. Stop earning your own spiritual capital. Christ has given away His glory that we with, with receiving hands might, might have all the blessing. Put your hope, your trust in Him rather than in what you can accomplish. And knowing what He has done, that then is our motivation for the giving that God calls us to do. You shall not steal. Certainly avoiding outright theft and robbery. Certainly any cheating schemes to swindle others. Being truly rich. Not simply in acquiring. Not simply in possessing. But utilizing the gifts of God for His honor and for His glory. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, for all the spiritual blessings that we enjoy, that he who was rich beyond all measure would empty himself, that poor, weak, fallen sinners like us might receive the blessing. We thank you for the means of grace. We thank you for prayer by which we can commune with you. Oh, Lord God, you have blessed us abundantly in the spiritual realms. And physically, too, oh God, we thank you for all the things you've given. We thank you for work. We thank you for labor, that we can use the talents and abilities to, to acquire things. Help us to hold those things loosely, oh God. Not hold them for our own self-interest, but use all you provided for us that we might be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.